Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book without all the cussing, in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. Oh my goodness. Here we are with the rookie episode number 19. Already, where does the time go, my friend? Where does the stinky, cowardly time go? Probably crawl under a rock and hide somewhere because the stink, stinking coward is what it is. I seem to have resolved my technical issues for Shakedown, book one of the Crypt series. If you recall, I had a devil of a time with Microsoft Word and a 450 page document with over 3,000 changes to review. As it went through the changes, it would somehow go back and recalculate them all, and it was dragging the processor to an absolute crawl. Did everything there was to do, didn't work, had many spinning wheels, many, many spinning wheels. Well, we divided the manuscript up into four parts, and then we also used a more updated computer. So there's still some minor delays, but overall it's going very well. I am now 57% done with the final draft of Shakedown, the Crypt Book 1, I'm also making progress with the book because of another new tactic. Just started that this week. So as you're, if you're hearing this when it comes out, I've done this for one week, and so far it's going gangbusters. In the morning, I walk my pups and then get right to the writing. Don't do email. Don't do anything. Uh, just get right to the writing. And now I have a computer we're using only for writing. So there's no text messages. There's no email coming up on it, anything like that. I leave my main work computer with the mail and the text messaging and all the other stuff. I leave that in another room and my phone in the other room as well. So I'm getting zero distractions. It is amazing how much better I am at doing my job without these distractions nipping at my concentration. I'm like, oh, I got this. This is easy. I can handle four or five texts an hour or whatever. Email comes in. Maybe you need to respond to that. Turns out I do not. I get to leave all that stuff in the other room for four hours get the writing done. And then I catch up on all that stuff. Uh, you know, it turns out it's, it's what is there isn't enough to merit the constant interruptions. So things are going good. That's what I want to tell you. Things are going really good. When will shakedown be done? You ask, I don't know, but at 57%, clearly we are closing in. All right, let's get back to the rookie. Let me get you caught up on the story so far. And then we're all going to go wonder why Thor doesn't just heal his own damn eye. I mean, he is a god for crying out loud. Previously on The Rookie. Two straight wins make Ionath a long-shot contender for the Quith Irradiated Conference title. But the mob has the Kraken starting quarterback under their thumb, even while trying to corrupt the backup QB. Quentin Barnes. 
As the gangsters close in, can Quentin and the Krakens keep on winning? Find out next on The Rookie, adult version, episode number 19. Quentin walked into the central locker room to find the place already half full of players and buzzing with excitement. The players crowded around the holotank in the center of the room. Hey guys, what's going on? Oh yes, check out our first big break of the season! Yasud stepped aside, making room for Quentin. The holotank showed two human broadcasters, Christoph Berman and Dr. Mary Warwick, reviewing a holographic replay projected on the desk between them. The ESPN Game Day logo circled above them. The orbiting death's upset win over the Wittok Pioneers puts the death in a three-way tie for first, Berman said. But the bigger story is the injury to Pioneer's money man, Condor, Big Pladrian. Just how long is Adrian out for, Mary? The replay froze, and she poked the tip of a plastic pointer into the holographic display. In that display, Condor Adrian had his right hand on the ground, obviously trying to keep himself from going down. A defensive lineman for the orbiting death, dressed in a white jersey with black trim and metal flake red helmet, was also frozen in midfall, leaning against Adrian's arm. Quentin suddenly realized that Adrian's arm was bent the wrong way. As you can see here, the elbow is badly hyperextended. The replay moved forward another second, then froze. Adrian's arm bent further, and a bone poked out of his skin, accompanied by a freeze-frame flash of blood. A groan of disgust rippled through the Kraken's players. The holo started to move forward, then backward and rewind, then forward again, over and over, to show the injury. Yasud jumped up and down with excitement. Like a chicken wing! It looks like a goddamn chicken wing! In the holotank, Dr. Warwick continued. And here we see severe bone and ligament damage to Adrian's arm. This will require major reconstructive surgery. He could be out three to four weeks while they rebuild the joint. Quentin felt bad for the man, but he also felt a surge of excitement. With him gone, the Pioneers were no longer the unbeatable machine they had been for the first four weeks. The Pioneers' win over the Krakens meant that even if the Krakens won out and the Pioneers only lost one more game, both teams would finish at 7-2 and two, and the Pioneers would win the conference title on the head-to-head tiebreaker. But if the Pioneers lost two games, the Kraken still had a chance to win the conference outright. Of course, that would require some help from the Grontak Hydras, who had also beaten the Krakens and were also at 4-1. and one. In the multifaceted fantasy of the Krakens actually taking the quith-irradiated conference title, the Hydras had to lose two more games and the Pioneers had to lose two more games. The Orbiting Death was also at 4-1, and one, but they only had to lose one more game, this week's game, against the Ionath Krakens. If the Krakens prevailed against the Orbiting Death, both teams would hold 4-2 and two records. However, that same head-to-head tiebreaker would this time favor the Krakens. Even though the Krakens shot at a conference title, meant they had to win their last four games. The injury to Adrian and the upcoming match with the death made all things seem quite possible. To Quentin, it felt like a shroud had lifted. In a two-game span, the team had gone from falling to 1-2 and, and losing its starting quarterback 
to crawling back to 3-2 and two with an outside shot at the title. Two days of practice on the touchback, then two days at Orbital Station 1, home of the orbiting death. Orbital Station 1, also known as the Ace, was even larger than the Deuce. Even the fact that the Krakens were back in the running and the fact that Quentin was about to see yet another new world was not enough to offset his rage because he was still on the bench, still backing up a tanker. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Game 6. Ionath Krakens 3-2 at Orbiting Death 4-1. Quit the radiated conference standings. Three-way tie for first. Orbiting Death Wittok Pioneers, Glory Warpigs, all with 4-1 records. Two-way tie for fourth, Sheb Stalkers, INF Krakens, both at 3-2. Grontak Hydras, Big Diggers, Quith Survivors at 2-3. Woo Wall Crawlers at 1-4. And, and Sky Demolition at the bottom at 0-5. It was only a few minutes after breaking out of punch space that Quentin found himself in the observatory, looking out at another massive, mobile, artificial world. The ace was an order of magnitude larger than the deuce. Where the deuce had seemed like a spherical sea urchin, complete with long, tapering spines, the ace looked more like a medieval mace. Short, blue, stubby points dotted its spherical shape. The remnants of framework spikes like at the deuce, but with the area between filled in by harvested space debris. Quentin walked up to Virek the Mean. Hey, Virek, just how big is that? Largest artificial construct in the galaxy's history. Much larger than Emperor One. Man, I bet the Kretorakians don't like that. They hate it. Fuck them. How many beings live on that thing? 1.1 billion. Quentin shook his head. That was more beings than all the Purist Nation's outlying colonies combined. Hell, it was more than two entire planets, Allah and Stuart. The Ace wasn't a station. It was a damned world. Still, while Allah and Stuart, especially Stuart, looked alive and vibrant, 
The ace looked like a rock studded with blue metallic points. It's, uh, it's really not that much to see from space. Inside, it's amazing. Even better than Orbital Station 2. Quentin didn't have to wait long to see the inside. The touchback locked into a geosynchronous orbit near the entrance shaft. Quentin rode down the first shuttle. He wasn't starting, yet he was listed on the starter's shuttle. He didn't know what that meant. What he did know is he didn't want to talk to Donald Pine on the way down. Pine couldn't even meet Quentin's eyes. The older quarterback spent most of the trip staring out the window, ignoring the hateful glances Quentin couldn't help but shoot his way. If Pine tanked another game, the Krakens were out of the playoff hunt, plain and simple. But if Quentin told anyone, it would destroy not only Pine's career, but his reputation and legacy as well. Maybe Pine was a fucking moron for getting himself in trouble, but he was also a two-time Tier 1 champion. Did Quentin Barnes have the right to ruin that? And Pine wasn't the only one acting odd. John Tweedy sat in a chair, left fist methodically punching into right hand. Whap! Pause. Whap! Pause. Whap! Mom always did love you best, scrolled across his forehead. Quentin nudged the massive Comini, then gestured at Tweedy. Hey, what's his deal? This is the biggest game of the year for him. The death's running back is Jew Tweedy, John's brother. Quentin had read about the mad Jew Tweedy, Tier 2's leading rusher, in the weekly reports and seen him run in the highlight reels, but he'd never connected the last name. It's always a fun game. We call plays on defense, but against his brother, John does what he wants. Call plays? Great. Tear him up, throw him away. Man. John looks like he's about to kill somebody. Doesn't he get along with his brother at all? Khomeini laughed as he pulled a large sandwich out of his duffel bag. Yeah, they get along. They get along about as well as the purest nation gets along with the League of Planets. The media loves it. They always fight. The reporters report. It'll be one hell of a debriefing. Quentin left Khomeini to his sandwich as the shuttle slid into the entrance shaft. At the deuce, the crystalline growths were mostly straight, like green quartz crystals. Here, they curved in all directions, like crystals of blue gypsum, sometimes spiraling outward like a ram's horn. Curls grew off of curls that grew off of curls, until the walls of the shaft were like a tangled jungle overgrowth of translucent blue. There were also smooth facets, their polished surface matching the contour of the shaft's outer diameter. Hey, why isn't this as orderly as the deuce? This looks like shit! Virag seemed to wince at the comment, and before Quentin could ask why, Chodo the Bright slid out of his seat and stormed over. Chodo's eye flooded a deep green. His strong pedipalps reached for Quentin. Quentin felt a blast of adrenaline rip through him in response to the oncoming 420-pound linebacker. Without even thinking, his fists balled up and he started to look for an opening. Before either he or Chodo could take a swing, however, Virak stepped between them. Back off, Chodo! Chodo's one eye peeked around Virak's shoulder. It was a scene identical to one Quentin had witnessed humans perform more times than he could remember one being holding another back to prevent a fight. That human rookie said my world looks like feces! Chodo tried to swing a pedipalp over the top of Virak, 
the quith warrior equivalent of the human swim technique used to get past an offensive lineman. But Virak effortlessly matched the move and continued to block Chodo. Chodo, he didn't mean it. Quentin, tell him you did not mean it. Chodo pushed again, and Virak had to take a step back to keep his balance. Suddenly, two key linemen, Kilayoet and Chodo Thicket, grabbed Chodo and held him tight. Chodo's pedipalps quivered violently, and his eye flooded a deep black. I'm sorry, Quentin said, and stepped around Virak to place a hand on Chodo's chest. I didn't mean to offend. The words and the touch seemed to stop Chodo cold. But you called my world feces. It's a figure of speech on my world. I was not actually calling your world feces, per se. Look, I apologize if I offended you, okay? Chodo's eye quickly faded from the deep black to crystal clear. His body relaxed, and the key linemen cautiously released their holds. Apology accepted. All right, so why does this shaft look so different from the one on the deuce? Orbital Station 1 is older than the deuce, about 50 human years older. The crystal growth technology was not as developed. It looks like it grows great. Yes, but too fast. And that was fine when the ace was small, a population of about 200 million beings. But the larger the crystalline matrix grew, the more silicon organisms there were, and growth rates increased exponentially. Engineers cut it away when it grows into populated areas, but it grows unchecked through the non-living areas. It's a problem we've been trying to fix for over a century. The shuttle dropped through the entrance shaft and into a brightly lit underground city. Quentin stared, stunned and now understood why larger ships weren't allowed through the shaft. If the entrance shaft had resembled overgrown underbrush, the city was a full-out wilderness. Sprawling blue-tinted crystal reached out from every part of the dome ceiling, curving up and out and over, so that the city seemed to exist within a living but artificial jungle canopy. We have over a million beings employed just to remove overgrowth. It's our biggest tax burden. The shuttle slowed considerably and angled for a large gap in the arcing crystalline canopy. As it slid past, the crystal growth seemed so close that Quentin unconsciously gripped a bulkhead to steady himself. The ship slipped past the upper canopy and into an open space between the canopy and the city buildings. A large ship off to the left had dozens of long legs and clung to a crystalline growth like an insect clinging to a plant stem. At the base of the ship, a long, multi-jointed arm held a concentrated beam of white-hot energy. The beam moved back and forth across the blue crystalline growth, until suddenly the growth snapped free, trailing thick globs of molten crystal. Growth and ship together plunged downward, but only for a second before the ship's engine caught and it hovered, newly cut prize still clutched in insectile legs. The ship flew up, carefully threading its way through the crystalline canopy. They will send that off into deep space. There's no use for it. Why don't the city engineers just replace this growth with the more successful variety from the deuce? That's an interesting theory. It has been attempted. The original growth is much more aggressive than the new. The new growth has been introduced several times, but it's either choked out, overgrown, or actually converted into original growth. Yeah, I'm, couldn't you just come up with a virus or something? The planet is now some 60% original growth. Any virus might spread to the core and destroy the structural integrity. We'd be killing our own planet. So you can't kill it, you can't replace it, and you can't stop it. Much like the Quith themselves.
Chodo's pedipalps quivered. He seemed oddly proud of the growth. The shuttle banked to the right. Here, Quen could discern no downtown, because all the huge buildings reached up into the crystalline canopy. Three centuries had given the buildings plenty of time to grow to towering heights. Like the deuce, thick tendrils connected the city buildings. Unlike the deuce, however, wherever the shuttle flew, Quen could see hundreds of the insect-like ships cutting away at unwanted growths. Thousands of small curls spiraled out from every possible place, the start of new growths that also would eventually need thinning. How many beings live here, in this city? This is the city of Manarch, with 50 million residents in the city proper, which you see before you, and another 100 million in the underlying tunnels. It's the biggest city on the Ace, because it's the only one that supports life for non-Quith. All other cities were completely irradiated when the Kretorakians attacked. Gwen shook his head in amazement. Such numbers. Fifty million in what he saw before him, in a space only a few miles across. The same amount of space in New Mecca housed only ten million, and he had thought that impossibly overpopulated. Another bank to the right ended the conversation as Beefeater Jin Stadium, home of the orbiting death, came into view. It was a round stadium, set deep in the ground. The first two decks were actually below the city's surface level. The next two decks towered high above, both sets connected by steeply sloped seats. Long, thick, curved buttresses arced out from four equidistant spots around the curved stadium, reaching up to support the upper decks. The playing field looked impossibly tiny and distant, a testament to the stadium's size. He'd seen several colors of playing surface, but this was the most unusual yet. Jet black. So black, the white lines and numbers popped out in contrast, so sharp he could read them from the shuttle. The fact that the translucent blue stadium sat deep in the ground had caused some witty human of years gone by to dub the stadium the Ace Hole. The name had stuck. Where all other parts of the city seemed to be fighting a losing battle against the slow but wild growth of crystal, the stadium seemed to be a perfect, shimmering, symmetrical jewel. Quentin saw several dozen insectile ships working away in the stadium, carving away even the smallest budding protuberance. The shuttle banked over the stadium, then actually flew inside a hole in one of the huge buttresses. Once the ship sat down, Quentin stepped out into a massive crystal room as elegant as an imperial palace. A short hallway, decorated with holoframes and memorabilia of the orbiting death, led the team to the visitor's central locker room. As the races filed into their respective dressing rooms, Quentin stopped to look at the back wall, painted metal flake red with a ten-foot-high flat black circle. What the hell does that symbol mean anyways, Chodo? That is the Quith symbol for death. The circle. No beginning, no ending. A fighting death for one Quith means life for many others. Quentin nodded to himself as Chodo walked to the Quith warrior locker room. The orbiting death wanted to die fighting? Well, that was no problem, because Quentin Barnes aimed to please. Quentin just wanted to be alone. He didn't want to see his teammates. He didn't want to think about riding the bench. But that was all he could think about. He sat in a mixed-race bar, hiding in a shadowy back corner, 
a Sports Illustrated message board in one hand and a mag can of Miller in the other. His eyes merely glazed over the words and pictures. His mind couldn't get around the fact that he was a backup to a tanker. Hello, Quentin. Quentin looked up to see Mitchell Fayed and Virek the Mean. Are we disturbing you? Quentin shrugged. Just wanted some time to myself, you know? Fayed nodded. We saw you and wanted to invite you to join us for dinner. We're going to discuss ways to keep our winning streak alive. But if you want to be left alone, we understand. Thanks. Fayed put his hand on Quentin's shoulder. It made Quentin uncomfortable, but he didn't knock it away. Hey, you stay strong. Keep working hard and good things will come. With that, Fayed walked away and Virak followed. Quentin stared after them, hating Fayed for his positive attitude. He finished his miller, then another, then another. He lost count. It wasn't until he stood to leave some four hours later that he felt the effects. The room spun around him, and he had to put a hand on the table to keep his balance. A Kretorakian civilian flew up and perched on his table. Quentin stared for a second, then recognized him. Sobox, the voice of Mopuk the Sneaky. You fucked up, human! Oh man, what are you talking about? Mopuk told you what to do and you didn't do it. Now you've got to pay. Quentin saw two large shadows move towards him. Not shadows, key. So big they blocked out the bar's lights. He saw a blur before something smashed into his face and the room twisted wildly. He fell back into his booth. Hot blood coursed out of his nose and onto his upper lip. Quentin Barnes, you're never going to play again. My boys will see to that. A blow to his stomach. Air shot out of him. He tried to breathe in but couldn't. His mouth gasped open like a fish out of water. Strong arms lifted him up out of the booth and held him high. Time to pay the price. Put him down now. Quentin finally drew a gasping breath. The two key enforcers held him by his armpits. Sobox was still perched on the table. All three faced Virak the Mean and Mitchell Fayed. I said, put him down. Sobox stared at the Quith warrior. Mind your own business, you grunt. You don't want to fuck with Mopuk the Sneaky. Virak turned his attention from the key and stared directly at Sobox. You insignificant worm. Greedock is my Shamakath. He's also the Shamakath of Mopuk the Sneaky. Quentin Barnes is Greedock's property. Now you put him down, or this will get ugly. Sobox stared hatefully for a moment, then gestured to his key enforcers. Put him down. Let's go. You haven't heard the last of this, Virak. Yes, I have. Virak turned to face the key enforcers again. You two face me again, in any capacity, and I'll kill you. The key scuttled away, Sobox hovering over their heads as they left the bar. Faye had grabbed a napkin and held it to Quentin's bleeding nose. Quentin, are you okay? I am fine. What was that about? What are you doing associating with Mopuk the Sneaky? What did he want with you? Ah, uh, beats me. Maybe he didn't like my hair. Stop lying. I have to tell Greedock about this. No, no, you can't do that. I have to. He's my Shamaketh. I must tell him. Virak, don't. Why not? A shade of light purple colored Virak's eye. You, you just can't, okay? That is not okay. 
It is my duty. Mopook is in Greedock's organization. Oh, man. Mopook works for Greedock? Oh, man, this sucks. If Mopook is making a move, Greedock has to know about he's, it. He's not making a move. It's... I mean, it's something else. I must tell Greedock, and you must tell him also everything about this. Quentin stood and looked Virak in the eye. You have to trust me. If you tell Greedock, it'll destroy our season. Why? Why would it destroy our it, season? It just will. Virak, please, you have to trust me on this. Do it for your team. For my team? Yes, I'm telling you, we just have to keep this quiet. I can't tell you why. Just trust me. Virak stared for a long moment. It is a sign of disrespect to not tell Greedock, and he does not take disrespect lightly. Quentin stayed quiet. He'd said his piece. Virak, we can't let anything ruin our season. Don't tell Greedock. Virak looked at Fayed, then back to Quentin. I will not say anything. I will trust you, Quentin, but please do not betray that trust. Quentin nodded, a grateful smile crossing his face. Thank you, Virak, and thanks, you guys, for helping me out. I got my ass kicked. It is time for us to return to the rooms. Quentin, you will join us this time. Quentin nodded. The three teammates left the bar together. You have been listening to The Rookie, book one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon, superweaponband.com. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.